Thank you for listening to the Prevention Podcast brought to you by Casa Trinity. Hope begins here. This month, we're joined by Michelle Williams, a prevention volunteer in Tioga County. Michelle talks about current trends and topics related to substances, availability, and other alarming changes she's seeing both locally and around the nation. If you enjoy this episode, please rate and review and share it on social media. Let's spread the word and get these resources out into the community. All right, Michelle, thanks so much for joining me on the Prevention Podcast. Uh, It's great to meet you. And um, would you mind just uh, introducing yourself and telling people a little bit about what you do with Casa Trinity? I want to say thank you for having me here. Um, I currently volunteer with both Tioga and Cattaraugus County um, with Casa Trinity. I belong to the opioid work group and cannabis work group in Tioga. And I do the cannabis work group also in Cattaraugus County. Um, Part of my work is just volunteering. I started as a virtual intern during my associates with Christina, and I've just continued the work because I do enjoy it. What is it that you enjoy about the work or what keeps, keeps you coming back? I think for me, I had these misperceptions about prevention. You know, I was raised at the age of dare where it was just drugs are bad and yeah. everyone's going to offer these to you. And I've realized that prevention has come a long ways that they're focusing on people. They're recognizing that there's things like trauma that can lead to addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also enjoy writing the blogs about the different substances because I Mm -hmm. think it helps everyone, you know, stay up to date on what's happening and what to be on the lookout for. Yeah, I've learned so much by by doing the interviews for this podcast and and seeing what the approach is like today compared to the Dare program and the things that you just mentioned. Um, you know, I love that it's a lot about healthy coping and and um, you know just being in a good, um, confident mental state and um, and then being able to apply that to different situations. I think it's also important in everyday life. You know, if you have anything going on, whether it's stress or addiction or problems in your home, healthy coping skills can really go a long ways. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's really great, well-rounded, um, education. Um, and, uh, you know, I know that there are a lot of things that if parents are listening or teachers or guardians, adults, um, thinking about, you know, I, I don't, the education that we got as kids was the dare education. Um, we don't really know what's out there today necessarily. Um, and that's what you and I, uh, you know, are hoping to talk about today. And that's, that's the goal of this conversation is to kind of give people a broad overview of, um, what are the current uh, trends or topics that kids are facing? Um, what are the the drugs that are out there that are you know more easily accessible than maybe they were, or or completely new altogether? Um, can we start by talking about vaping because um, that's one that just seems um, prevalent uh, everywhere. It's it's something that's highly visible, um, and I think you know something that people just don't know that much about. I agree. Um, I moved up here from Daytona Beach, Florida. And one of the odd jobs that I've had, I managed a smoke shop and Mm -hmm. I was in charge of selling CBD. But in doing so, I was also in charge of selling vaping products. 
And I was just amazed at how little parents knew about vaping, about what, you know, you were actually inhaling, the chemicals that come with it, the additives that are in that juice. And there was kids as young as 10 and 12 coming up and saying, mom, will you buy me one of these like Spider-Man mods from Smog? And the parent would be like, oh, sure. What's that for? And they're like, oh, it's a little flavor and I can make cool smoke things. And the parent had no clue. Mm-hmm. You know, and you just sit there and watch it and you want to tell people everything. But in that situation, it's not the place. So in prevention, right. I've taken some of that knowledge and I want people to know that vaping comes in all forms. You know, people are familiar with the jewels and they've seen the big mods, but they don't realize that they can come in something that looks like a USB drive or mm-hmm. an asthma inhaler or um, even a pen, a basic pen that you would see in a kid's backpack. Mm-hmm. So I think. Not only do people need to know what vaping can do to your lungs, you know, I think we've talked about that with other smoking devices, but they need to be aware that those same chemicals come out when you Mm -hmm. vape, that it's not just harmless. And the amount of nicotine that's in those is a lot higher than a regular cigarette. Yeah. But you also have to be aware of the different ways that people can get around the obvious versions of vaping. You know, so in schools, you see that being a battle. Yeah. And, and vaping, I mean, just the term is, is referring to vapors, like, like, um, more liquid form than smoke. And I understand that carries some dangers with it long-term as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? It does. So in vape juice, in order for that juice to be vaped into that vapor that comes out when you exhale, they add things like propylene glycol or vegetable glycerin. But there's not a lot of control in the market about how pure those things have to be. So you can buy black market cartridges, and those could be basically cooking oil. I mean, there's really nothing stopping people from selling something that could harm people. Mm -hmm. And a few years back in California, they had an outbreak because people were using vitamin E acetate. And when that's heated, that's seriously damaging to your lungs. So people Mm -hmm. had died. There was people hospitalized. And black market cartridges are one of the easiest things to get. You know, Mm -hmm. kids will buy jewel pods. They'll empty the juice. They'll replace it with THC or a homemade mix. And there's even vape shops that practice mixing. So you Mm -hmm. don't know what you're getting. And uh, I mean, anytime you put liquid into your lungs, it's a bad idea also. Correct. Because you get that sticky coating. Yeah. And you suppress some of that ability to absorb the oxygen and spread that to your body. Now, vaping was not around when I was a kid. People were people didn't have that option. Um, and I know that that's not the only new thing that, um, you know, that is talked about in drug uh education and prevention. Um, what else is out there now that maybe wasn't there when, you know, 30, 35 years ago? Um, I think the different ways that people consume cannabis has changed, you know, back in say the sixties and seventies, it was the dry plant Mm -hmm. or people would cook down for like the hashish that would come out of the pipe. Mm -hmm. Um, now people are using what they call concentrates. And in order to do that, you take the plant and you pressurize it with a solvent. So something like butane or propane, and you're extracting just the part that has the THC. So the amount of THC in the product is you know, five times what it used to be. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people realize that. So you have kids that are doing dabs where they're putting this wax into a pipe and they're heating that. And then they're breathing that also through water, Mm -hmm. you know, so you're going to have lung damage from that. 
And I don't think people associate it with it because they assume that cannabis is natural, but they don't consider all those byproducts, you know, for when they do make these concentrates. Yeah. And I think that's the most popular form right now with a lot of young people. So there are instances where people have reported having psychosis because of the high concentrates, you know, and there's still studies to be had to find out whether that's a byproduct of the butane or propane or whether that is actually a like result of having high concentrate THC. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And of course there are edibles out there on the market and, and we've talked on this podcast a little bit about some of the ways that these companies market to children and, and get, you know, younger people interested in the products. Um, and with the products being, uh, chocolate bars and gummies and things that are right there on the shelf and that we've been eating as kids for decades or longer, um, there are certainly new opportunities to, to, um, or new, I should say, uh, ways that we have to combat what the companies are doing to put these drugs on the market. I agree. You see things like Doritos chips with THC or nerds ropes or sour patch kids. And then you see things that look like a chocolate bar. Now you have waters that are infused and It's harder for parents to keep track, but I think Mm -hmm. the important part is it's harder to figure out dosing in edibles because the way that some of them are made, it's very inconsistent. They're sprayed with the THC instead of baked into it. So one thing might tell you that each gummy has, you know, say 10 milligrams of THC, but in reality, one might have five, one might have 50. So it's not the type of thing that kids really should be playing with. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, as legislation goes on, you know, dosage can be studied and it can be removed from the Schedule One status so that we can actually find out the truth behind some of these, you know, implications with our lungs and development and the actual status when you're taking these gummies, what people are getting. Totally. Now, um, I know we want to talk about synthetic drugs. Um, can you just give us sort of a broad overview and um, and talk about maybe some of the ways that these are being accessed in the community today? Sure. Um, about 10 years ago, people were familiar with heroin. And then we started hearing about something called fentanyl, which is a little more powerful than heroin. From there, there was carfentanil, which is double the potency of regular fentanyl. But now we're seeing drugs like xylazine. Um, Some people call it trank or zombie dope. Um, We're also seeing things called isonitosines, which are a synthetic-like substance. You know, they react like an opioid. Narcan will help them. But they're being used because they're cheaper. It's easier to cut that into the heroin supply or the cocaine supply as a filler. And then when people get it, they're not realizing what they're taking. And these drugs are so strong that one dose of Narcan sometimes is not enough. Mm. You know, we have Narcan and we've relied on it for heroin and even for fentanyl. But in my area here in um, across the Pennsylvania border, we had an overdose two weeks ago where it took four doses of Narcan to revive someone. Jeez. You know, so we have to look at how many do we supply to a person at a time because most of our pouches come with two. Yeah. Um, And the scary thing with these synthetics is they look the same as everything else. They look like heroin or they look like the cocaine. So we end up having what we call unintentional overdoses where someone overdoses, the first responders come and their first question is, what did you take? And Mm -hmm. the person or people at the party will say, oh, I took cocaine. 
Well, when they test it, they're finding out that it has fentanyl in it or it has isonitazines or something else. Yeah. And it's a very scary process because overdoses before people were clear that they were taking heroin, they were clear that they were taking methamphetamine, but now this is being cut into things like Adderall pills, mm-hmm. you know, and for years we've seen college kids that will take Adderall during final exams. Mm-hmm. And sadly and- in the last two years, I think we've seen a lot of kids where they take one single pill and it kills them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, as a, as a result of a, a, a very sad and unfortunate death here in the Corning community, um, several businesses, uh, including myself, um, got a little more educated and, and are now carrying, um, overdose prevention kits and, and, you know, having Narcan on hand. Um, and, uh, my understanding in, um, the education process that came with the kit and, and talking through some of these things is that just a few grains, literal grains of fentanyl, like the size of a grain of salt, um, could be enough to, to kill someone. Um, especially if they have no experience with that before, if they think that they're taking something else, um, is it, is it intentionally, I mean, you, you said it's a filler and it's cheaper. Um, but I can't imagine that people are necessarily trying to, um, you know, put their, uh, income at, at risk. Um, but, uh, so, so what, you know, as these questions start to come up about the people who are providing drugs like cocaine or what else Xanax things, um, Adderall that might be laced with other stuff, what is the goal here? Like what, or, or is it, is an accident that more of this stuff ends up in these drugs or what's happening? I think, we have to understand that the street level dealers most of the times do not know that they're selling something that's been cut, you okay. know, so they're under the impression, this is the same thing I've always been selling. And then someone, you know, dies. But mm-hmm. when we look at countries like China that make some of these synthetic analogs, um, and then we look at like the cartels in Mexico, they're looking at a profit margin. So if they can make it cheaper with xylazine cut in instead of fentanyl, mm-hmm. that's the way they're going to go. The problem is that people don't know what they're getting. Yeah. And if people don't think that they're going to take a depressant like a heroin or, you know, Xanax, they're not going to be prepared with Narcan. Mm -hmm. So if they do get a pill cut with, you know, fentanyl or their methamphetamine has it in it, they're not ready for this. Yeah. Is there a way to test for it? Um, There are xylazine test strips. Um, Those have just been approved by a company in Canada, I believe. Um, and then we do have fentanyl test strips. So there's groups out in California that are actually pushing to put these into bars. So just in the bathrooms, if someone's going to use drugs, kind of a no judgment thing. Yep. Um, around here in New York, I think that there's a big push to make fentanyl test strips available because we are seeing this. Mm -hmm. Um, and now that xylazine has hit Philadelphia so far and that we're seeing it in New York city, I think that will be the next thing that we really focus on. Yeah. Um, is this getting through to, to kids, uh, teenagers, um, and even adults that it's more, it's more dangerous now, not because of maybe like the gateway conversations and things we've had in the past, but, um, well, for one of the reasons, just simply because we don't know what's out there, um, and what we could be consuming, is that getting across? I don't think so. I think that 
you know, especially for younger people, you're under the impression that everything is going to be okay. Mm -hmm. You've seen people use cocaine or you've seen people take Adderall a million times and nothing has happened. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that they're really as aware that it's going to look the same. It's going to be marked the same. It's going to taste the same. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to get past that, but I think that has been an issue since the beginning of topics, you know, concerning drugs and alcohol. Because unfortunately, back in the dare times, we also had the fear mongering. We had the the faces of meth and it didn't really match up to the reality of what people saw. You know, their parent might be an alcoholic, but they weren't bone skinny or having liver failure. And they might know someone that smokes methamphetamine and they're not losing their teeth. They're having sores on their body. So I think that those programs did a lot of damage in how we get through with effective messaging now. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, at what age is it appropriate to have these conversations or is, does this become part of the whole curriculum where, you know, we're talking about, um, just awareness and coping and eventually talking about the effects of, um, these substances. And again, as you said, not in a fear mongering way, but in an educational approach. Um, I think that's a hard one to really answer. When I was younger, D.A.R.E. was like in kindergarten. You know, it was one of the first things that we did. And after D.A.R.E., we always had those commercials. You know, this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs with a fried Mm -hmm. egg. Mm -hmm. Nobody knew what that really meant, which, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm glad those are not around today. But I think with cannabis legislation now, I think that we do start having to have those conversations as to what is safe. And, you know, the one good thing with CASA is they offer things like cannabis or cabinet locks, and they offer the lock boxes for prescriptions. And I think those are important conversations, whether or not we talk specifically about the substance. Mm -hmm. I think we should have those conversations with families about what is in your home and what does your child have access to. And then slowly we have to figure out where exactly to start this. But I know with vaping, we're seeing kids as young as nine years old that are vaping. So Mm -hmm. it's all in how people are raised. And I think it's also going to be a struggle now with parents fighting for what the curriculum is that their children see. Yeah. I don't think there's a perfect answer for that one. Sure. No, that makes sense. Um, In a recent conversation, we talked about a program through Casa Trinity called Teen Intervene, where, um, you know, some of the early stages of experimentation, um, whether it's drug or alcohol use, um, are immediately met with one-on-one conversations um, and opportunities to uh, have access to a greater support network. Um, And uh, I would certainly encourage parents, teachers, guardians to take a look at what resources are out there. Um, And if there are any um, fears or worries about um, early stages of experimentation and things, um, you know, one of the things we heard um, in our conversation uh, with, um, Abby Watson was about, you know, not treating it with, um, uh, immediate anger and discipline and, and, um, and shame, but uh, from the education perspective, and I really appreciate having this conversation with you from that perspective as well, because it is so important to, to, you know, first and foremost, just be educated about what's out there. Absolutely. I think that everyone should at least know what's happening. Um, Mm -hmm. When I write my blogs, they're not meant to tell people do this or don't do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone is adults. They're going to make their own choices, whether or not they should or should not. Mm -hmm. Um, The point being that 
they should know what the, the dangers are. They should know what trends are out there. And with kids, I think it's so hard because there's this generation gap right now where people are called boomers or they're called millennials and mm-hmm. younger children are just shutting out older adults because it's like, you don't understand us. You don't understand where we are. Mm-hmm. And we see that every generation. So I think that parents have to learn how to listen. Teachers have to learn how to listen. And if we have that education of what is out there and what these trends are, we can also look for those warning signs. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing them with us, um, with the audience here. Um, are there any resources or um, apps or things you know that people can get out there and uh, take a look at if they want to, to learn more or follow along maybe with some of these trends or learn a little bit about what's out there? So Casa Trinity has blogs that they post to their websites. Yeah. Um, I've been writing those roughly a year and a half now. Um, they are marked and archived, so we might be able to attach a link in here for everyone to see. Mm-hmm. Um, they can always reach out and ask also. Um, I do encourage parents to maybe stop into like the local smoke shops as they open, especially with the vaping. Just go mm-hmm. in and see what's available. See what maybe looks similar that you might have seen in your kid's room. Yeah. Um, also, Casa Trinity offers Shauna Has a Secret. And it's a mock bedroom where you can kind of see these things. I think that between those two, um, just being aware in the community and learning the slang that kids use, I think those are some of the top things that we can do. Um, Resource-wise, just read the news, really. You know, lately, xylazine has been everywhere in the news. Mm -hmm. Um, You'll start to see overdoses. And some of those articles will identify trends. They will say what the person thought they were taking. Um, And I think just being aware that those are possibilities. It's not just happening in a big city. It's not, you know, a million miles away. It is right here in our hometown. Yep. That's for sure. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for the work that you're doing and taking the time to provide um, some education here. um, And of course, throughout the communities that you serve. Um, and, uh, and again, I would just echo what you said there, encouraging people to, to reach out, read your blogs. Um, and if they feel more comfortable with, you know, an email, a text message, a phone call, whatever it may be, there are all different ways to, to, to reach out and get support. I agree 100%. Thank you for having me here. This really was a great opportunity. This podcast was produced by Creagent Marketing and hosted by me, Sean Lukasik. It's made possible by Casa Trinity. Thank you for listening. And for more information, visit casa-trinity.org.